CW listeners, and welcome to the Not Old Better Show. Thanks, Gary Cohen, for the excellent community chat show today. And again, good morning, KSCW listeners. I'm Paul Vogelzang. It is so great to be with you today, following, of course, another excellent community chat with Gary Cohen. And welcome back to the Not Old Better Show on KSCW. And our guest today is New York Times bestselling author and Newsweek magazine science writer, Claudia Kalb. Claudia Kalb is a New York Times bestselling author and journalist who writes about science, psychology, and human behavior. She is the author of the new book, Spark, How Genius Ignites, From Child Prodigies to Late Bloomers, especially important to our Not Old Better Show audience. This will be a fun interview with Claudia Kalb, and she has graciously agreed to read a passage from her new book today, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to tell you that through engaging storytelling and historical, biographical, and scientific research, Claudia Kalb unravels the relationship between brains, talent, passion, creativity, willpower, and imagination. Claudia Kalb will tell us what propels some individuals to reach extraordinary creative heights in the earliest years of life, while others discover their passions decades later. Claudia Kalb will answer our questions about whether prodigies are imbued with innate talent, and for our Not Old Better show on KSCW audience, how often are late-in-life inspirations triggered by propitious events like Julia Child's first French meal at the age of 36? Do late bloomers reveal their talents because their skills require life experience and contemplation? Pay attention. We'll have fun today and answer some important questions like knowing when you'll know what you want to be and more Not Old Better Show questions. When I was a child, I spent a lot of time wondering when I would know what I wanted to be. I've loved to write for as long as I can remember, and I spent many afternoons skimming through the pages of my parents' New Yorker magazines before I could make sense of the stories. Words fluttered through my mind like confetti at a ticker tape parade. Still, my path to becoming a writer was circuitous, and I have long been fascinated by the journeys of others. What role do our personality traits play in the livelihoods we pursue? Are we born with talent or lured by passion? How do we discover the spark that fuels our souls? And how do we know when we found it? These questions, which have stoked the minds of philosophers and psychologists for centuries, inspired me to explore the trajectories of 13 iconic figures who left colossal footprints in a variety of fields, from art and music to medicine, business, and politics. In my research, I became especially intrigued by the timeline of discovery, which shapes the arc of this narrative. What propels some individuals to reach extraordinary creative heights in the earliest years of life, while others uncover their destiny decades later? And that, of course, is our guest today, author Claudia Kalb, reading from her new book, Spark. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show on KSCW via internet phone, New York Times bestselling author Claudia Kalb. We are with Claudia Kalb, author of the excellent new book, Spark, How Genius Ignites from Child Prodigies to Late Bloomers. Claudia Kalb, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Paul. Good to talk to you. I particularly enjoyed this book. We're going to get into it. I know my audience is just going to love it. I I think many of us are in this late bloomer kind of category. I'm not sure if I was a child prodigy or not, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. But the title, Spark, refers to... When someone's genius is launched and then 
actually comes to fruition. So as a science writer, uh, which is is largely what you do and have done for many, many years, what's your definition of genius? Right. Well, this is such a big and interesting question. And I researched it for quite a few years while reporting on the subject broadly um, for magazine stories, for National Geographic, and then for this book. Um, if you talk to researchers in the field, and keep in mind, there's no PhD in genius. This is a um, subject that is sort of made up of different elements. So those include intelligence, creativity, perseverance, luck. Those are sort of the four main categories that um, make up genius or sort of elements of genius. But there's so much more to um, the topic and the definition, which you know is really hard to pinpoint. I kind of see it as um, the pinnacle of potential. So the ability to harness your uh, mind, your intelligence, your curiosity, your own grit, um, to forge a way to think of things in a new way, to hear things in a new way, to understand things um, in a way that no one has before. It requires a real willingness to fail, um, a desire to pursue something rigorously, and then an idea that's really transformative, something that changes a field forever and also creates an impact that will last long past your own life. Mm-hmm. And you write about these three categories of people in your book. I, as I say, I know our audience is going to be interested in this late bloomer category. We'll get to that. But tell about the other two. Right. So I really wanted to explore the arc of discovery when people find these moments that change their lives and change our lives as well in some way. And so I started with Prodigies and make my way through the 12 chapters um, of the book to midlifers and then late bloomers. So the Prodigies I would define as the way they are technically defined somebody who performs at a professional or adult level by about adolescence. And so I have people like Picasso and Shirley Temple and Yo-Yo Ma in that category who found this um, spark or were were sort of nurtured um, in this area very early in life. And then the midlifers, I define as sort of the 30 to 40-year-old category, people who come upon these discoveries a little bit later um, after doing other things. So Julia Child, for example, finding um, cooking. She had her first epiphany about French food when she was 36. Um, Maya Angelou writing her memoir, her first memoir at the age of 40, and Alexander Fleming, who discovered penicillin at 47. So those are the two categories leading up to the final group of late bloomers. Well, sometimes child prodigies, uh, they have that early spark, but they may not be able to kind of live up to all that um, is maybe identified for them kind of by way of that spark. But but Yo-Yo Ma is an example of a child prodigy who really has had this great success as an adult. Shirley Temple uh, really exhibited lifelong genius and success. What is it that allows some of these individuals to actually just sustain this genius for, for decades? Maybe tell us a little bit about Yo-Yo Ma and Shirley Temple, their skills and their ability to kind of maintain that spark. Right. I think they're really remarkable stories. Mm-hmm. Um, Yo-Yo Ma, who I was um, able to interview for a profile that I wrote in National Geographic magazine and then incorporated that as well as more reporting into Spark, talks a lot about being an immigrant and the impact that had on his life. So he was born in Paris to Chinese parents, and then the family moved to the United States when he was about six years old. 
So from very early in life, he had a lot of cultures um, to sort through. You know, he had the culture at home and he had suddenly gone from eating croissants to looking at skyscrapers mm. in New York City. Mm. Um, <laughs> and he talked about how this opened his mind in a way that allowed him throughout his life to be open to new experiences. And this is actually a key trait um, among great minds is openness to new experiences. Um, so Yo-Yo Ma has always reached out beyond his music. And this, even though he had this incredible skill and talent early on and was recognized as a teenager to be a great musician, he decided to go not to Juilliard. He ended up at Harvard um, because he wanted to study other subjects. And he studied sociology and anthropology things that really opened his mind further. And so throughout his life, he's been able to blend or cross or merge his music with other interests around the world, which have to do with his own interest in culture and learning about other people and places um, and work that's going on to better the world. And so now he's 65 years old and he's not just a musician. And I think that's what's allowed him to not only continue to be interesting to his public, but also to continue to maintain his enthusiasm for what he does, because music is, he always says, is what he offers um, and brings to the table, but we all have something to bring back and share. So I think it's his openness to new experiences. And then Shirley Temple was somebody who, you know, she started dancing at age three. She was obviously talented. Um, she had a real personality that was full of life and, and vigor. Um, but she also was very authentic throughout her life. I talked to her son, and um, daughter about her as a mother and how much she dedicated to her family as somebody who came out of her early life as a child star where so many others do flame out and burn out because of the stress and the pressure and also the kind of um, single focus on one thing whereas she goes off to high school with, with at a normal high school at a certain point after acting as a child then becomes a mother um, and, a, and a wife raises a family and then is able to transform herself um, into a diplomat later in life. In her 40s, she enters politics. And it, she's able to carry skills of, um, I would say, the ability of being able to interact with people the way she did on a stage early in life. The skills she learned there, that she could interact with adults and interact with other kids and be on a stage and be in the public, are the same kinds of skills you need as a diplomat. And she was able to transfer all of that to become a really accomplished um, adult diplomat, to have a career, a second real career, in addition to her um, third part of the life. She always talked about having three parts, including being a mom. Yeah, I, I've always felt that that's, that's just been a really remarkable story, her moving from these really very different industries into, you know, kind of throughout her adult life and being able to kind of keep that going. It's just been fascinating, I think, to watch her. I think regardless of, you know, our kind of our paths, we all have losses. We all face adversity and failure in our lives. But you write about these people who almost get a charge. You know, they're they're not derailed at all by their traumas. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you'd tell us uh, a couple of those about a couple of those people and kind of how they did it. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I think mm -hmm. it's reassuring in some ways mm -hmm, to, mm -hmm. to all of us. I think two of the people I found most remarkable in this area, Maya Angelou and um, Eleanor Roosevelt. And, and Maya Angelou, you know, she had a really, really difficult childhood. Her parents couldn't care for her. She was sent off with her brother on a train to live with her 
grandmother in Arkansas. It was um, the Jim Crow South, a lot of the usual kinds of incredibly difficult issues dealing there with poverty and racism. And then she endures this rape at the age of eight. Um, it's just horrific. But she somehow, you know, through mentorship, she meets a woman in Arkansas who introduces her to poetry. Uh, she later on learns how to um, kind of find a voice of her own in singing. She loves to read uh, and eventually um, starts to write poetry and is encouraged by her voice teacher to begin to write down her thoughts and feelings and ultimately meets through a series of interesting events, um, is, is introduced to an editor in New York City who really encourages her to tell her story and to write that first memoir. And she does. And so I, I see in her this incredible um, ability to use her voice, whether it's uh, in the beginning to just get through the trauma of what she had to do. She initially actually went mute for a while. The trauma was so bad she didn't speak. And then when she found it, she used it to sing. She used it to write. She was a journalist for a while living overseas and then ultimately learns to write um, about these traumas through prose and through poetry. Um, so it's really remarkable. She just had incredible ability to muster her um, inner thoughts and, and get it out. She did say, by the way, that it drove her crazy when people said, you make writing look so easy. She would often talk about, it's not easy. It's really hard. Um, it wasn't just something that came perfectly, you know, in a stream uh, from her mind. So, um, and Eleanor Roosevelt, the other person I mentioned, she also had a difficult early childhood, different kind completely. She was born to a privileged family, did not deal with those same issues as Maya Angelou, but um, did have different issues. Her father struggled with addiction. Her mother made her feel um, not adequate in terms of her look. She wasn't beautiful enough. She felt insecure, unsure of herself. And both parents died by the, by, by the time she was 10 years old, as did one of her two younger brothers. So she's really um, dealing with a lot at an incredibly young age. She finds mentorship in the teacher who takes her on at a boarding school in London when she's in her teens. And this woman really um, notices a bright mind and an ability uh, to learn and kind of opens up Eleanor's uh, mind to learning and language and travel. She comes back much more uh, confident and much more sure of herself as having potential. And then she's able throughout her life also to kind of kind of go back to that resilience that she builds throughout her early childhood into her early adulthood. She builds this resilience that she goes back to and uses throughout her years married to FDR, which had challenges in the White House, to become a real humanitarian and to speak out for other people's rights. She's got a really admirable story of sort of trauma turning into real power. We are with science writer and New York Times bestselling author Claudia Kalb. Claudia Kalb has written the new book, Spark, How Genius Ignites from Child Prodigies to Late Bloomers. The book is getting uh, great reviews. I just highly recommend it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It really seemed to kind of speak to me. Yes, of course. And uh, uh -huh. um, the writer, reviewer, historian, and, and presidential biographer John Meekham says, a sparkling book that illuminates and inspires. And, and it is inspiring. I think the stories are very inspirational. I think personally, 
as I say, it spoke to me. I, I found kind of my spark late in life. And you write mm-hmm. about several who experienced this kind of late in life spark. So I guess what what was it that I did wrong? <laughs> Maybe tell, <laughs> tell me about that part of your research and, and what you found out about those of us who, you know, we just kind of kept going, but eventually we figured it out and sparked. Right. Um, I, there's just so much here to, to talk about. I mean, I think nothing <laughs> wrong at all. I think that, you know, that timeline is so unpredictable for people. And the prodigies are in a category of their own because there's some ability that shows early, but also that is really nurtured by adults. I mean, no prodigy does it all on his or her own. They're far too young. Um, But for everybody else, it's kind of an evolution. And I think there are so many individual factors that play in to how things come about and when they come about. Um, for, for a lot of people, you know, the early years of, of working after college, if you're lucky enough to go to college and open your mind to different subjects, are really a um, transition period of finding what interests you. A lot of people have early interests and passions in childhood, but kind of set them aside thinking they're not necessarily the adult version of themselves. And we can talk about that too, but um, that's an interesting aspect of our lives. We don't often um, pay attention to early dreams and hopes. We put those aside. We go into the, our early working years, but you know those years are often establishing a sense of security and finding ourselves in other ways, both in terms of relationships and sort of our emotional lives. And so often it does take a while. Um, it may be an epiphany like Julia Child. She didn't know anything about what she wanted to do when she was in college, she even wrote about this and bemoaned the fact that she didn't have a, a clear path. But you know, when she had that first meal at a French restaurant, the day she landed in France with her husband, that was really an epiphany that drove her to pursue cooking. And as I mentioned, she was she was 36, so she wasn't um, young or old. She was really quite in the middle. But it was that point that really um, she knew. And you think about Alexander Fleming. You know, I would say he did absolutely nothing wrong. He he you know, discovers penicillin at the age of 47. And the reason he discovers it is because he had all of this background knowledge that built up to it over the decades in his work and his research. He was a patient guy. He was somebody who um, observed carefully. He liked to keep a messy lab because he thought things, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Let's leave our dishes open to surprises and that's how penicillin um, happened. A, a mole dropped into his petri dish, and he came back from vacation and noticed that the bacteria had all, you know, shoved over to one side of the dish. The mold was on the other. Clearly, something powerful was going on with this mold, and it turned out to be penicillin. But he might not have discovered penicillin when he was in his twenties because he needed that time. He worked at the on the war front. He worked. Um, studying all sorts of other things in the lab. He found another um, kind of antibacterial earlier than he did penicillin that didn't have the same effect, but gave him a template for what to look, look for. So he's 47, you know, but that was the right moment for him. And he goes on to have decades of really an interesting life after that. So I think um, to me, I think the hardest part is feeling like you have to, you have to find it and know it early and I think forcing it or trying to force it can take you down the wrong path or, you know, may not sustain you. And I think one of the hardest things is to have some level of patience about your own self to know that, um, you know, it may happen 
give yourself some faith. Don't give yourself an endpoint. Don't think that um, these numbers on a scale like 65 is retirement, it's the end. No, you know, that it may be that like some of these late bloomers, Grandma Moses had her first solo art show at the age of 80 and then had a two decade career. So um, there are lots of things that go into discovery and when it happens. And I don't think any of us can know for sure when it's going to be our moment and plan for it, but rather let it evolve. Yeah, I think some of these stories do do give some peace of mind and, and certainly a great deal of kind of hope. I think the right word is patience. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you'll settle a dispute in our household, <laughs> Claudia Calvin. <Okay. laughs> <laughs> because I'm 64. I have shared the wonderful book, Spark, with my son. I'm going to be sharing it with my mm-hmm. nephew, all of whom are males and are late bloomers. My mm-hmm. wife, on the other hand, mm-hmm. Um, knew very early, and she bloomed early with her talents. So is this, you write about a lot of women too, but I wonder, is it gender related? Does it skew one way or the other? Yeah, I love this question. And I'm not, you know, in terms of the science research, I don't really know that anybody has looked exactly at that question. I can tell you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. some of the elements that that drove the late blooming women in the book. Um, and I think people would would figure these out pretty quickly would be, getting married and having children. So that would be a big mm-hmm. um, marker in the lives of um, certainly Grandma Moses, who was married early, had five children who survived, five children who did not survive, tended the farm and only turned to painting in her 70s because she was somebody who had a real uh, drive to, to keep her hands busy and to keep herself busy. She didn't like to to sit around, but she didn't have time to do that before she became um, a painter in her 70s. She just really couldn't take the time to do it. So I think in many cases, it is family that delays women, if you want to use that word, or just at least postpones their moments at which they can turn to their other interests and passions. And it comes up in lots of um, other stories as well. However, as you mentioned, there are men who also um, find that their moments really come later as well. And um, Peter Marc Roger, who was an uh, incredible scientist before he created the thesaurus, Roger's thesaurus, is a great example of somebody who, he was kind of steered to his path in medicine and science by his mother and his uncle. His father died when he was only a few years old. His uncle becomes a surrogate father. His mother and the uncle together kind of gear him toward medicine at a very early age. He's in his teens graduates medical school at 19, and he's ready to sort of eventually get on with um, being a doctor and a scientist. But then, you know, he's always had this very strong interest in words. As a young child, he kept word lists. Even in his mid-20s, he started pulling words together into this organized list that would later become, when he was in his 70s, um, the thesaurus, but he just didn't have the time to get to it until much later in life after he retired from science and a great career in that field. But this was really his great love. So I don't think I've, I've been able to settle the debate for you. Um, well, I think it's going to go a long way to just kind of furthering the conversation yes. that we're having in our house. Okay, It'll good. go on, I think, for a while. <laughs> but but, it, but it, as I say, it's a great book and one that's that's worth sharing. And, and I'm doing that myself. Thank you. So I think we, we – oh, of course, absolutely. Well, you talk about 
early dreams and hopes and finding ourselves in, in kind of other ways only to perhaps be reminded later and discover those sparks. And so I wonder, do we have different stages of spark and, and blooming or is it just kind of all at once? We know this. Right. Um, so I think for the most part, it's more of an evolution, I would say. I mean, I think that um, the spark happens after years usually of something going on where you're taking in information and then it evolves into the moment where you say, aha, I kind of get it now. So, I mean, you can think about somebody um, like Isaac Newton who um, studies science. He's really interested in science as a kid and early in life. And then in his twenties, he's, I mean, this is a period which we all identify with now. He leaves Cambridge university when it shuts down because of the bubonic plague and so all the students are sent away. He goes home. And over time at home, slowly as he's thinking about these concepts he's interested in and optics and gravity, they come to the fore and he develops them over the years to come. But it's not necessarily the apple drops on his head and he's discovered gravity. It's um, He's read the science that came before. He's thought about how things work in the world. And then he, you know, his, his thoughts evolve. So I really feel like the spark is usually a a real blooming and evolution over time. Um, I, you know, I think just that I've mentioned the Julia Child epiphany of the meal. I think in her case, it was kind of an aha moment. This is what really I'm taken by this. I like the smells and the look of this uh, food. I want to study it and learn more, but then, you know, it's time to, to get there. But I think for, um, for most people, it's, it's an evolution. I don't know that there are specific stages beyond the idea that you be you're open to information. You take it in and you allow it to kind of simmer. And then often these moments of discovery happen when something wakes that up, whether it's an experience or a conversation with somebody, um, or you know, I often say take a, take a class you don't even think you're interested in. Sometimes the moments happen when you're thinking about something else completely. Um, it's interesting the way things can can come to us. Well, you are a very well-known and accomplished science writer, and there's a great deal of science behind Spark. And so I wondered if you'd explain a little bit about, you know, the relationship between our brain and talent and this kind of notion of Spark. Right. I, I did look, I'm interested in the brain science mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. that affects human behavior and what we do. So the book, you know, in, includes interesting discussions about IQ, for example. I mean, intelligence is something we talk about as an important aspect. But then what is intelligence? It's And it turns out it's not, IQ is definitely not the be all and end all because it measures a certain kind of thing through a score, um, but it doesn't measure things like your ability to interact with people or your um, whether you or not you have a musical ear. Um, so so that I think is, is really interesting that studies show that um, you can have a, an elevated IQ can mean great success, but it can also um, not. One of the big studies that was done out at Stanford on IQ on students with high IQs, um, they didn't take two kids into the study whose IQs weren't high enough, and they turned out to be Nobel Prize winning physicists. So we know that IQ is, is not everything. There's some interesting research. Um, I talked to somebody who's looked at art prodigies, who talks about the idea that they have an ability to um, see things differently uh, than than others might. They can identify shapes, um, small shapes embedded in larger ones. They're they're able to draw realistically. Um, in musical training, they know that musical training 
it, when it's done early and consistently can alter the volume of a part of the brain called the cerebellum. It actually changes the architecture um, of the brain. So really interesting aspects to that. They know um, it also in some people have a really good working memory, um, especially in prodigies, they've identified this. So, so somebody can, I think about Shirley Temple can, you know, hold on to information about what she's told she needs to do on stage and do it at the same time while paying attention to lighting and other people. Being able to really not just remember something, but hold on to information while you're doing something else, is, I think is really interesting. That's a brain, um, you know, ability. Um, Fascinating. The book, of course, is Spark by Claudia Kalb, who's been our guest today. Thanks so much for your generous time. Thanks for the excellent book again, How Genius Ignites, From Child Prodigies to Late Bloomers Spark. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. Great book. Congrats on everything. Thank you. And I will add, if anybody is interested, just to go to my website, because there's a lot of information on there and about the book as well. And I also um, would be happy to inscribe book plates for people. So um, please request. <laughs> so that's Claudia Kalb. It's, it's my name, K-A-L-B-E, Oh my gosh, what a nice offer. My thanks to Claudia Cow, author of the new book, Spark. Hopefully today's show will give you a spark and some ideas to keep in mind as you start to develop and grow and further yourself and become better, not older. My thanks, of course, to all our audience in the KSCW area and those of you who are listening in new to the show, please be well, be safe, and remember, let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show on KSCW. Until next time, thanks everybody.